Welcome to Horror Bites on Save Room, the show where we highlight short indie horror games and the people who make them. I'm on the ocean floor, and so is he. Together, we are Neil Bolt and Jay Krieger. How goes it, Jay? It's going pretty good, man. We get to chat about uh, what has you know, quickly become one of our favorite subgenres, uh, which is nautical or aquatic horror. And uh, I think we've got two games that capture that this week in two very different ways, but at the same time, maybe they go off the beaten path of what people kind of expect from yeah. from aquatic horror, right? Which is like mer people or something along those lines. And these <laughs> capture a very different kind of dread um, in sort of the workplace variety. Yes, they do. And yeah, uh, we say favorite. I, I despise playing underwater horror games uh, at the best of times. <laughs> but uh, yeah, okay. Uh, the end result is good, and you know that's that's what matters. Um, yeah, as Jay says, this week we have indeed stumbled upon a theme of sorts, as both our picks involve the ocean floor, but as Jay also said, handled very different ways. And as ever, these games can be found on Itch.io, and if you do play any of them and enjoy them, make sure you give them a bit of love by supporting them in whatever way you can. So first this week, Jay, your game has us making a chilling, or sorry, chilled out descent to the ocean floor to fix internet cables. Tell us about it. Yeah, you know, on the Itch.io page, the developer says this is a a chill and relaxing experience. And while I don't think I would ever describe it as such, I get what they were going for. And so my yeah. pick for the week was Cold Abyss by developer Studio Notes on Itch.io. And this is nautical horror, but it's more workplace dread, I think, than being mm. uh, you know necessarily hunted by denizens of the deep, which is great because it combines, as I said, our two favorite subgenres, that being aquatic horror and the horrors of the mundanity of workplace tasks. So the player is tasked with being a deep sea cable repairman who's instructed to repair 10 cables before being allowed to return to the surface per their contract. Oh, and their bosses happen to tell them that they haven't received communications from the last repairman they sent down, which probably isn't something for the player to worry about too, too much. Uh, so I think that right <laughs> off the bat, this game does a great job of very quickly sort of getting the player familiar with the surroundings, what the objective is, and also implementing some, uh, let's say, like dark humor, if you will, because there's a whole back and forth with whoever your employer is topside. And they say things like, you know, you have to stay on top of your oxygen counter unless you want to, you know, suffocate. But then they have this little kind of like thing on the side where they're like, well, we really want to get our money's worth out of investing in all that training for you. So there is a little bit of that sort of, the the uh, workplace culture kind of thing between you know the uh, upper echelons of managers and whatnot and then sort of what they view as the grunts doing the actual work um, so there's that sort of ominous corporate mentality which also you know you're reminded you're not allowed to get back onto the elevator to go to the surface until you do your job which it's like okay uh, I hope I can find everything because if not I'm going to be down here a while um, but this game ultimately I think does a great job of capturing atmosphere that yeah. while the game says it's supposed to be chill and relaxing, it does such a great <laughs> job of creating that sense of, you know, deep sea that you can only ever see a few feet in front of you. And then of course yeah. it has the ambiance to go with that of really quality. Um, I think sound design as well. It's not just that, yeah. you know, you hear the sort of faint echoes of being under the ocean or you interacting with different things. Uh, in the environment, but also, you know, sometimes when you get close to those cables, you start to hear like echoes or murmurs or something like that. Mm -hmm. And so there is this sort of 
chilling atmosphere, but it's not the same type of thing that people are probably expecting along the lines of, oh, you know, you have to be looking over your shoulder constantly because you got to look out for something. Now, you might actually end up looking around more than you probably should or would need to because there isn't that threat. But that would just be a testament, I think, to like the level of design in the atmosphere. And hmm. it is a quite lengthy environment that you're exploring, right? And so you're searching for those 10 cables. You're also searching for various oxygen tanks that you have to go to to then refuel. And you basically get like 100 seconds of oxygen. And, you know, you're going to be then using this reader that points you in the direction of either the cables you have to repair or those oxygen tanks, which I think gives the game a level of sort of survival horror to it. Uh, while you're not counting bullets, you are counting the seconds until you suffocate, which takes this task that is not complex and it's not challenging. But when you have that sort of meter that's reminding you, if you don't get there or if you kind of like strand yourself between a cable and an oxygen tank with a low reserve, that's going to spell disaster and then you're going to have to start over, right? Um, so before I go into too much more of it, I'd like to hear kind of how this one landed for you. Mm, yeah, I mean, I, I totally resonate with the idea that it's, you know, you're still going to look over your shoulder, whatever, because you, you just are designed to expect something, you know, not just in the environment, but because of the type of games we're used to. And that's like one of the big things about the ocean for me. Just like it's the darkness, it's what you can't see, how much of it you can't handle, you know, the, the helplessness of it. It's just stifling, you know, like that. And it, it, there's too much tension in this game for <laughs> nothing to happen in that sense. And it's like, but then, you know, to offer a different kind of horror in there beyond that it is quite refreshing you know, and to make it about the moment to moment things you know the, some of the best bits about like 47 meters down was were like the fact you know it's about the air and the depth of how far down you are and how far to get to something to stay alive a bit longer and yeah this game's just full of those little moments minus the shot thankfully and then you had those sort of offbeat horror moments, you know, the, the otherworldly stuff that's there and it's not really explained. And I like, again, I like that. Just it's there. It happens. You don't, there's no real consequence to it. And everything kind of wraps up in a nice bow once you're done. But God, does it make you feel it, you know, the whole time you're there. And I think at least it would stand up to, you know, replaying because of that as well, because it's that minute minute tension between areas where your oxygen is a certain level and you don't want to get lost or anything like that. And it's quite possible, even though you, you know, you've got these several different options for checking everything, you know, like check your oxygen, check the direction you're going and things like that. It's, yeah, it, you are just so on edge trying to figure out what could suddenly come out in the darkness which, as we said, doesn't happen. Uh, spoilers, but it doesn't. <laughs> I think that's important to say because I think even though it became more and more apparent that was going to be the case, couldn't shake it, could not shake that feeling. And I think that, again, just taps into that idea of what the fear of the ocean is. Um, and, yeah, the mundane job thing. Again, yeah, I mean, as mundane as it can be to work at the bottom of the ocean. Sure. <laughs> I mean, yeah, to repair internet cable, repair stuff, it is technically mundane work in a lot of ways. And, you know, the whole corporate pressure thing, as you said, of having to do the job and you know, with the very 
passive-aggressive threat of, can't fucking come back up then, can you, if you haven't done it, sort of thing. Like, that is horrid in its own way. So, yeah, it was a really quite a unique way of going about it. And, um, yeah, I, I didn't believe it was going to be a chilled-out experience at all. So, <laughs> And it wasn't, so I think I at least was validated in that. But uh, I wasn't, like, suffering a heart attack after it sure. because it fulfilled every one of those fears I have. You know, I think I understand why they described it as being this chill experience because that is another way I think of trying to say, unless they're setting the audience up, it's their way of kind of saying like, this is not going to prescribe to some of the trends that we see in these mm. types of experiences where you're either running from something or it ends with something running at the screen and having a big like shriek or something. But yeah. I will say that there are a couple of supernatural elements in this that you will discover mm. through playing. Those are best left to experience on your own. But um, it is the type of thing that those moments as infrequent as they are and as maybe a little aloof uh, as they can be, those moments, I think, heighten that atmosphere, which is what you're talking about, where it is still this experience yeah. that is very unsettling, very uneasy, even if you don't have to have those big in-your-face moments. And that's probably one of the best compliments that I could give this. Also, the fact that it is as spacious as it is, and it has a good sense of uh, verticality to it as well, um, which I was yeah. impressed with. You know, again, a small experience. I'm sure that the uh, the fog of the ocean, if you will, uh, obscures a great deal of your view yeah. and everything like smart. this. But super yes. smart and way to sort of just hide uh, limitations because it feels endless. And if you're making a game about exploring the ocean, if you don't have that feeling, you really don't have a great sense of atmosphere. This game never once has that problem. And uh, yeah, it was... Uh, definitely a standout of the month, I think, for me. Uh, so, well, <laughs> from the last month, at least. <laughs> so, yeah, it's, it all blends into one. Getting it? lost in my timetable. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I agree with you there. It's um, definitely done a good job there with that one. Um, so before we explore the Unbathomal Deep again, we'll come up for air for a quick ad break. And welcome back to Horror Bites. We've only just been down there in a diving suit, but let's head back into the ocean floor in a tiny rickety submersible with Ken Forrest's Rusty Barrel. Uh, Rusty Barrel is a short horror game in which you pilot a small, cramped and old submarine. You have to move through narrow openings and gorges on the open ocean floor. Um, this was made in 72 hours for Ludum Dare 54 with the theme of limited space, inspired by uh, Dave Sismansky's game Iron Lung which is obviously being turned into a, a film by Markiplier, which is still one of the strangest sentences <laughs> to ever have to utter. But uh, there you go. Uh, Ken Forrest has uh, featured before on Horror Bites with uh, LiDAR XE and Drone Delivery Despair. So, you know, this is one of those uh, stalwarts of the show at this point. Um, now, yeah, as the description said, it's very much inspired by Iron Lung, but with a bit more movement a bit more room a bit more stuff to go around and and you can genuinely see a lot more because um iron lungs thing is like quick peaks quick peaks not really actually getting a proper view of what you're seeing it's very um you know constrained for a reason you know it's memorable for what it does this you know while it takes that sort of iron lung thing of like going around flicking switches repairing stuff when you get damaged and you generally have a better idea of what you're doing, collecting these samples from the ocean floor. And, you know, occasionally as you're doing so, you get these pings that 
you don't know where it's coming from or where it is and always the sense that something is going to pop out at this little gloomy porthole you have at the front you see these fish going around and you find these little things as you pick up with your little mechanical arm yeah again one of those sort of routine jobs if like go there pick this up blah 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 whilst they're you know, being in you know bomb of the ocean in a very tiny cramped tin can uh where that could you know just implode at a moment's notice it seems and uh, I, I've read enough of Steve of uh, Steve Alton's the Meg books to know that, that he loves uh, describing just how lovely that is when that happens. <laughs> um, yeah, so I think the environment of the little submersible is quite interesting. I mean, it looks like a cylindrical, like you know, like storm shelters sort of thing. Yeah. You know, that sort of that sort of corrugated thing by way of. Hitchcock Geiger sort of thing where it's like it doesn't not meant to I suppose but it has a slightly alien look to it it looked like a steampunk version of what a submersible yeah. should be almost yeah much like the Iron Lung one does I think which is, is probably, again probably deliberate but more detailed and yeah I think it's those sort of thick um, outlines you know where, that go around you know doorways and things like that that's what gives it that sort of alien-esque sort of vibe to me um you know, all this tech is quite low tech stuff, you know, obvious stuff. Here's your sonar, here's where the, how much damage is, all these little readouts and stuff. And I think the biggest challenge is mostly just trying to not knock on sides of the uh, these caverns and caves. And that's not easy, to say the least. Um, you know, you start feeling every little you know, dink and... Yeah, it's one of those games I kind of wish I'd had like haptic feedback in because it would have been like terrifying to have that sort of yeah, absolutely. You know, scraping sort of tension like that. Um, and then, you know, inevitably it comes to its end with, you know, the, you've collected all the things and that ping's been happening all this time. Obviously, you're going to have a payoff on that. Now, the payoff is a bit, a bit missing, I think, on it in terms of, what it was it was again one of those ones we mentioned quite a lot where like it's something you see something the end sort of thing like that i mean at least it wasn't like you see something and it just jumps at the screen and you know the end but it was still like a little like that i suppose i preferred it this way because at least then you've got a sense of ambiguity and anticipation of like never really seeing what it is exactly um you know because you're in the dark gloom and there's like everything shuts off just before it so you've got low power and then this one single light comes out and yeah, then it sort of fades out and ends but it's still you know an atmospheric experience pardon the pun and I think it really replicates the idea of like doing that sort of thing you know where you are just trying to be so careful you know it, you think back to the days of the GTA missions of like don't you know you're carrying all this fucking stuff that's going to blow up don't go knocking it too much sort of thing and uh how stressful those situations were because the controls are always like you know you were trying to play with two pieces of ham for hands or something you know? <laughs> and here it's got a little bit of that thankfully not too much because it would be horribly frustrating but yeah I, I was really impressed um by just how well it went it went in the end i mean it shouldn't be too surprised with Ken Forrest and you know the games he's made before it's definitely got a lot of the same vibes 
that we've seen in previous ones where it's sort of like kind of like our reality but slightly off kilter or slightly futuristic dystopian sort of stuff and you know even though it's under the ocean you kind of get a little bit of that vibe of you know to be sent in this little crap bag to do this job seems a bit odd and yeah I think considering again 72 hours to make this you know does quite a lot I think with very little how did you end up getting on with it? You know, those game jam timeframes amaze me because laundry sits on yeah. my floor for like a week sometimes and people are out there <laughs> making games for in fucking three days or something like that is always yeah. blowing my mind. But no, to champion what you said, you know, with Ken Forrest, he's somebody that I think no matter which of his games you play, um, yeah. clearly has a knack for creating very sort of intricate uh, small spaces, but they're them being reflective of the larger world that, Sometimes you get a look at and sometimes you don't. And I think that Rusty Barrel, like you said, is a great example of putting you in an environment and that environment not only informs you of what you're doing in the moment, but it informs you about, in this case, like what could be going on above the surface. Like clearly Mm. the world is at a place where they're sending you down below in this rinky dink little barrel. And if they're not going to invest in that, chances are what you're doing is pretty dangerous and the employer (laughs) doesn't really give a shit if you come back because there's probably more people to replace you or more of these rinky dink Mm. Uh, little vessels they can send down. But I will say, in terms of the atmosphere inside of the barrel itself, right, it's the thing where, you know, sure, you can see that influence from Iron Lung, but at the same time, I was just really impressed with the layout of that submersible that you can explore freely and the layer of like the sim nature of that, I think, where, you know, you have to repair cracks, you have to extinguish fires, but also the fact that you have a variety of these monitors and there's no handholding. So if you're not going to pay attention to the monitors that are there, you're just going to drive around in circles and crash and your boat will probably explode or something like that. Or you'll just keep patching holes and not actually like find the end game of it. Um, so that quality I really liked. And it was also nice to see a developer make something that, as we've said, you know, there's some uh, questions about what life is like above the surface, but at the same time, like, being put into an environment that is not overly reliant on the fantastical, I think is one of those things that like, I appreciate more the older I get, you know, and when you're a kid and even still now, like you love to be put into these fantastical worlds that defy reality and whatnot. And when you play a game such as this, that kind of just presents, it's an interesting way to present the world, but it's like going through the motions of something that is just kind of like exploring nature as you would assume, you know, if you were in their position would be in our own uh, world. Um, That's an aspect to make that interesting, I think, is like a talent in and of itself with the way in which, you know, Ken crafts these worlds. Um, It didn't just feel like, oh, okay, yeah, this is just any other ocean environment. Like there's so much specificity to where you're supposed to go by following the monitor coordinates. And then at the same time, the ways in which you maneuver around the sort of maze-like nature of this reef that you're exploring. Yeah. And, you know, at times you're going to hit, come up against an obstruction or something that slows down your progress, or you have to kind of do a 19 point turn to get out of it. But at the same time, the, I suppose the way I describe it is the sometimes cumbersome nature of the submersible actually gives it a lot of personality, I think, because of the fact that, you know, you are in this rinky dink thing that's not going to operate as well as you would probably like. It's not going to turn on a dime. And that kind of gives it a little layer of uh, charm, uh, I suppose, to yeah. go along also with, you know, the squeezable duck that's got the captain's hat on that's <laughs> in the sub as well. But, um, yeah, you know, again, I think that 
Ken is somebody that clearly has a knack for developing games that have interesting worlds. And even in a game such as Rusty Barrel, that's presenting a world that might not be overly fantastical. It still has a layer of depth to it that makes it intriguing and interesting. And um, I think no matter what period of time he put on this, like if it was a 10 or 15 minute experience, chances are you'll spend a little bit more time on it because of the investigation Mm. or the uh, exploration rather of the ocean floor and just kind of like exploring the interior and also the sim nature of keeping it uh, up to scratch. Yeah. And I think both games sort of make great use of the ocean and the, your limitations to make your imagination feel like the place is bigger than it is. Yes. Yeah. You were talking about like with the darkness working so well with the other game. Um, but I think there, especially it's like having that sort of oxygen thing system means that you will not veer off course to try and find out what's in the dark because you will die you know that's the, that's the <laughs> idea um and here it's like you know you can only go so far and go to certain places because of, you know otherwise you will mess this thing up and it will just you know, be opened up like a can of beans that's it and yeah I, I think that's a great way of using those limitations in both cases um yeah i suppose that's it for this week then we'll, we'll wrap it up if you are a developer of an indie horror game, demo, concept, or game jam entry, we would love to hear from you. Uh, you can drop us a DM at SaferInPod on Twitter or SaferInPod at gmail.com for email if you'd like to be highlighted or interviewed on the show. Jay, it's been aquatic. We'll see you all next week. In the meantime, we will keep searching for more horror minds. Murder in America is a true crime podcast that covers stories from all 50 states, including stories of mass shootings, serial killers, and lesser-known murders. Do you find yourself doing more research after listening to a true crime show? Well, Courtney and I used to do the same thing, and that's why we created Murder in America. Our podcast dives deep into each case. Our storytelling will make you feel like you're right there within the case with us, watching it all play out, and we do not shy away from the graphic details. If you're a fan of true crime, then listen to Murder in America on Spotify now.